Hey, welcome everybody. Hope you guys are awake. Are you awake? Nudge somebody in the ribs and go, hey, wake up. This is the time to get back at your spouse. For snoring. I'm sure you guys are perfect spouses. Okay. I'm very excited. We are we are starting a, a mock series. We're going through the gospel month. We're taking three months to go through the gospel of, of Mark. Um, and uh, why would we go through the gospel of Mark? It's only 16 chapters. You could do it in a month. Well, we want to spend some time on it because it's in a, a very, very important book of the Bible. Well, all books of the Bible are hopefully important books of the Bible. That's why they're there. But it is especially important because it's one of, it is not one of, it is the oldest gospel that we, that we know of. As, as far as we understand, it was the first gospel that was written and there's also a lot of evidence to suggest that the other gospel writers, Matthew and Luke in particular, used Mark as source material when constructing their own gospels. And, and Mark was interested in, in one question, okay? And he starts this off in verse, in verse 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. See, Mark wanted to attest to the fact that Jesus was the Son of God. He, he, he most likely wrote this gospel to Romans and to the Roman church. And, um, and he wanted to reaffirm that this person that you have put your faith in, this person that you've put your trust in, he is reliable, not just in and of himself, but being affirmed as being the Son of God. Right? Are you with me? And so many different gospels have, um, well, not many, there's only four of them. The other gospels, they have different purposes. For instance, Matthew. Matthew is extremely detailed. Okay? He's, he's a very, very detailed writer. And he, he had the mission of trying to uh, record what Jesus did. Okay? Mark, Mark isn't interested in the details. And in fact, when we, when we read through Mark in, in just the first couple of verses, we're going to see that, that he skips over a lot of details that Matthew has. He's not interested in the details. He wants to get to the main thing. Is this guy that we're following really the Son of God? That's an important question. If we're going to put our trust and our hope and our lives on the line for the person Jesus. We want to know that he is really the Son of God. Yes? That's a good question to ask, and this is where, and this is where Mark comes in. Now, Mark wasn't one of the disciples; he was a disciple of Paul, and Paul wasn't a disciple either. So, so Mark is a—you can call him a, a third-generation disciple. He was—he followed Paul, and Paul followed um, people that were um, disciples, namely James and 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 Peter, and. And Mark was, was, he was, he was a guy that was growing up in a church system and he was seeing all the amazing things that the apostles were doing, okay? Acts, Acts 1 starts off, um, um, sorry, Acts 2 tells us right at the end of Acts 2 that, that, the, that the disciples and all the believers, they were gathering, they were selling their position, their possessions and and the apostles were doing amazing signs and wonders in and amongst them. And Mark was probably part of that congregation 
that was witnessing these amazing signs and wonders being done. And so he followed a lot of the disciples. He followed Peter, uh, most likely most of his gospel, the gospel of Mark, is actually accounts of what Peter did up until we get to the crucifixion. And then the crucifixion happens. Most of the disciples, they scatter. The, um, if you remember, on the, there's a story in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the, the Romans come with the Pharisees to arrest Jesus. And the disciples get scared off and they all disappear. And so Mark then, um, what, what we believe is that the, the stories of the actual crucifixion are taken from firstly John, but then also the two other women that were there, which was, do you know who else was there with Jesus when he was being crucified? Anybody? Mary, Mary Magdalene and Mary's mother. And so the accounts of the crucifixion are actually most likely taken from Mary and from John, which is very interesting. So women represent, amen? Awesome. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to get stuck into Mark. I'm not going to do too much of an intro because Amu introed Mark last week. I don't know if you guys were, any of you guys here? Okay, very cool. He, he just attacked um, one verse one. The whole idea of of um, Jesus being the Son of God, and this is very important because a lot of people, when they come to attack the Christian faith, okay, what what is mostly on the line is not that Jesus as a person existed. People don't have a problem with the person of Jesus existing, whether they be atheists or Jewish scholars or just non-Christian scholars in general, people don't, people don't fight about the fact that Jesus as a person existed. There's more evidence for Jesus as a person existing than historical figures like Plato and Aristotle and Julius Caesar. Okay, there's more documentation about the person Jesus than, than any other historical figure in history, by a long shot. Okay? If you really want those details, it's very interesting. You can go into that. What is often attacked, what is the most heated point of contention is the deity of God and the deity most, more specifically of Jesus. People attack Christianity on, is Jesus really who he claimed to be? What did he claim to be? Without any uncertain terms, he claimed to be the Son of God. Okay, we must remember that Jesus was crucified not because he was a nice person, okay? It, they didn't take him to the Pharisees and say, crucify Jesus, he's a really nice guy and a good teacher. <laughs> That's not what they crucified Jesus for. They crucified him because he claimed to be the son of God. The charge against them was blasphemy. Okay, do you understand that? He was, he was not killed because he was a nice person. He was killed because he claimed to be the son of God. That is why he was given over to the Sanhedrin in the first place. Okay, so if Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God, his death makes absolutely no sense. Are you with me? Okay, but we're going to get that. We're going to get to that in in July, in the in the month of May. <laughs> we're going to spend some time in the month of May. We're going to be spending time looking at what exactly did Jesus bring. And specifically today, we're going to be looking at who he claimed 
to be. And he claimed to be a new king. Okay. And you'll, you'll see this throughout Mark. I want you to pay attention. Uh, before I go any further, on your seat, you'll see a, a little bookmark. You can put it in your Bible. And with this bookmark, you can, you can follow week by week what exactly chapter we're going to be on. And so I, I don't know if you guys are following a devotional or anything, but I really want to encourage you to follow a, as a church. We want to go through the book of Mark. And so we'd really like you to take, um, take a week on the, on the specific chapter that is, that is on this book. So if you've missed out this last week, um, you have to catch up chapter 1 and 2 already. And then this week, we're on chapter 3. And then at the back, there are three basic questions that you can ask every time that you read. Okay? And the three questions, basic questions is, what, um, what does the Scripture teach me about the person of Jesus? Okay, that's question number one. And then the question number two is, what does this Scripture want me to know? What are the things that I should be changing in my lifestyle in accordance with what I'm, I'm reading? And that's question number three. Okay, so are you with me? You can put it in your Bible. It's a nice little bookmark. Follow with us as we go through Mark. And, um, but let's get to it. Um, so you can open up your Bibles to Mark 1. And we're going to read. We're going we're gonna to basically cover Mark 1, Mark 2, and a little bit of Mark 3 today. I'm not going to read everything. We're going to read some key passages. And what we're looking at today is who Jesus claimed to be, but specifically we're asking the question, I don't know if you've ever wondered, why did Jesus need to be baptized? Have you, have you ever asked yourself that question? John the Baptist came and brought a baptism, and he called it the baptism of repentance, right? But Jesus was without sin, right? So why did he need to repent? Why did Jesus need to do a baptism of repentance when he had no sin and therefore didn't need to repent? Okay? And the answer to that question ties into his very nature and who he was. And that's what we're going to look at today. Okay, cool. Fantastic. But let's, let's stop talking and let's start reading. So you can open up your Bibles to Mark 1. I'm going to read just the first couple of verses to verse 14, and then we're going to talk. Okay, so if you've got your phone, if you've got a Bible, let's open up to Mark chapter 1. Okay, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the first 
the first eight verses, we have to take note, are not actually about Jesus. Which is interesting because verse 1, verse 1 says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. And then the subject of the first eight verses is not Jesus, it's John the Baptist. Okay, do you see that there? The, the, we start off immediately talking about John. And it's very important. Mark wants to anchor the gospel in what the prophet Isaiah proclaimed. Okay? And he quotes, he quotes Isaiah. He says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Why does Mark anchor, start his gospel with John? He says, I'm going to start this gospel about Jesus, but let me talk about John. A little bit weird, right? Okay, Mark, are you a little bit confused? No. You see, Mark understands the importance of prophecy. Okay? That he's, and he's, what he's trying to say is, this isn't just, Jesus is not just a random person that appeared out of nowhere and said, I am Jesus, follow me. Okay, because even today, I don't, know if you, I don't know if you follow the news or something, but it happens, unfortunately, very often that there's some dude in some random part of, of the world that claims to be Jesus. Have you ever heard of something like that happening? Okay, he's just this random person that pitches up, and for some reason, he's often wearing a Rolex, but we won't go into that. <laughs> and he says, I'm Jesus, and you as a Christian... If you're wise and you read your Bible, you should go, sure, buddy. Okay, cool. So what makes Jesus not just a random person claiming to be Jesus or the Messiah or Christ is that there are other people who have come before him and said, this is he of whom it was prophesied. See, Jesus isn't claiming to, do, to be anything by himself. And in fact, up until we read into Mark 8, you'll see that Jesus never makes a claim to be God. It is others that come to him and, and profess about him. You must be the Christ. You must be the Messiah. And that culminates in a very key scripture that we'll read in the beginning of June, where Jesus finally asked the disciples, well, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter gives that, that um, famous answer. He says, well, you, you are the Christ. And Jesus says to him, well, that's not revealed to you by man. That is revealed by the Father in heaven. You see, it is so important that Jesus is validated, but he's not validated by himself. He's validated by the disciples. And we're going to read now how he's validated by God. Okay. So let's read on. So it's very important that when we're talking about the beginning of the gospel, Mark wants you to know that this isn't just a random dude making claims. There are people that are testifying to the very nature of who he is. First off, John, as prophesied in Isaiah. So Isaiah is affirming who Jesus is. John is affirming who Jesus is. And now there's this, this group of witnesses that are at the Jordan River, they're all being baptized, they're all repenting, and all of a sudden Jesus pitches up, and let's, let's read what happens. In verse 9, 
In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up from the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Okay? Do you see, uh, once again, Jesus is not making any claims, and instead the heavens open up. There are witnesses there. There are people being baptized. Um, there's estimated that there was anywhere between 3,000 and 5,000 people there that witnessed the heavens open, opening up and a voice crying out and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, resting on this person and saying, that is Jesus. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Okay? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand the significance of this? Okay, if, if, if I claim to be the most amazing piano player in the world, you're going to go, okay, sure, you might be biased, you know, but, but if, my, if my song all of a sudden ascends to the, the top of the, the, the charts, then you might start to take my claim seriously. It's not just me saying it. It's not just me claiming to be amazing. It's not just my mother claiming to be amazing that I sing very nicely in the shower. There are other people that are attesting and buying my music and, and affirming the fact that I am an amazing musician. Do you see what's going on here? And so Jesus, is, he's not being this random dude making claims about himself. In fact, he doesn't do that for the first eight chapters of Mark. He doesn't claim it himself. It's other people that are witnessing what is going around him and and. The Father then revealing in their hearts, this is the Christ. This must be the Christ. And what Mark is trying to point to is we've got to take this guy seriously because he's making no claims on his own. And it echoes what Paul says in, in Philippians 2, where Paul says that, that Jesus did not count equality with God something to be grasped. He did not try to infirm himself. He did not try to make claims for himself. He did not try to claim a kingdom. He did not try to claim gold or money or people. Instead, he let himself and the people around him do the talking for him. Isn't that amazing? Okay. That the heavens opened up. There were at minimum probably around 3,000 people that witnessed the heavens open up. God himself descending on this, on, this, on this individual, going, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Okay? And to us, that's a message going, well, we, we should probably pay attention then to what he's going to say and do. Yes? We should probably take this guy seriously. Okay. Now, what's, what's also very interesting is that people from opposing faiths um, a good example being Islam, they will say that, that Jesus never claimed to be God. Absolutely, he never claimed to be God. In the first eight chapters, he never claimed to be God. That's the whole point, okay? Is that man, the prophets of old, Isaiah, Mark's bringing in Isaiah, um, God himself declared Jesus to be God. Okay. There are some other people that will say that that um, Jesus was not God before this moment. 
a very weird claim. If you haven't heard about it, don't worry about it. Um, but this is also not true because Mark writes, in um, grammatically speaking, in the perfect present tense. In other words, what he's saying is, this is what has happened before, that he is the Son of God before this moment, and he is the Son of God in this moment, and he is the Son of God continuing into the future. So he's making a present claim about who Jesus was and is and will be, that he is the Son of God. Okay, beautiful. We can also see in verse 9 that the, the person of Jesus, the subject changed. Now, now Mark's not any, he's, not, he's no longer interested in John. John has served his purpose. What was John's purpose in Isaiah? Isaiah states that John's purpose was to prepare the way of the Lord. Before, he comes before Jesus. Now John has served his purpose. In fact, just after this, John goes into prison, and from prison he's executed a couple of chapters later. Okay, The purpose of John was to prepare the way of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared. So John's purpose is no longer... Is, is, is no longer necessary now. And the subject changes in verse 9 to the person Jesus. We can read here. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John. And from this, from this verse all the way till the end, the subject is Jesus. What is he doing? What is he about? Okay. But that doesn't ask, answer our question. Why does Jesus need to be baptized? And it goes... The, the answer is looking in, in two words in particular, and that is one of repentance, okay? And the word repentance comes from a Greek word, metanoia. And metanoia literally means that you are going in one direction, and in our, in our spiritual sense, in a, and then in a spiritual context, and what we're talking about is that we are going towards death, hell, and destruction. Okay, you and I, we know that we are born into sin, and that as it stands, the judgment of God is on us, and without any intervention, we will face the wrath of God by ourselves, and we will, will come off second best. Okay, and that is the direction that each and every person born in this world is heading in. Death, destruction, and hell. And that is what Jesus taught. And when we talk about repentance, we're saying that you turn around a full 180 degrees and you go in the complete opposite direction. And in the spiritual sense, what we're talking about is life, peace, and joy everlasting in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not necessarily a destination. We as Christians, you know that we as Christians, we are Christian not because we're going to heaven, but because we get to spend eternity with Jesus. Are you with me? Heaven's just a bonus offshoot. Okay? Are you, are you with? Do you, do you understand that? I, I want to go to heaven, not just because it's a nice place, and I'll have a Ford Mustang there. <laughs> Intent, nudge, nudge. Um, but I want to go there because Jesus is there. And in fact, if Jesus is there, I don't want to go to heaven. I want to go wherever Jesus is. Are you with me? Okay. And that means that right now, as I am on earth, Jesus wants me to be here serving his purposes 
Do you know that, that right now as it stands, it's better for me to be here than in heaven? Do you, do you understand that as Jesus has led you, as Jesus desires you to serve his purposes now on earth, and we'll take that because you're still alive, maybe asleep, but alive, <laughs> that it is, it is better for you to be here serving the purposes of Jesus, if that, is what he's de- if that is what he desires, then to be in heaven. One day that will not be the case. One day it will be better for you to be in heaven, but only because Jesus has willed it. You understand? My desire is to be obedient to Jesus. And this was the heart of Jesus essentially himself. And he reaffirms this many, many, many times over in Scripture. You'll often hear him say, and as you read the Scriptures, I want you to pay attention. And if you don't mind highlighting in your Bible, underlining in your Bible, I want you to highlight all the times Jesus says something along the lines of, I only do what I see my Father doing in heaven. Okay? If you know me, you know the Father. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay, And so, with that in mind, when we're talking about repentance, when we think of repentance, we often think of confession. I must, I must tell somebody about all the bad stuff I'm doing. That's what we think of as being repentance. Okay, But let me tell you, that is one part, and actually a smaller part, of what repentance is. What repentance is mostly about, the key point of repentance is not what we are turning away from, but what and specifically who we are turning towards. Okay? Can I say that again? Repentance is not about saying to God about all the, all the bad things that I'm doing. That's one half of it, one small part of it, should I say. The main point of repentance, the key point of repentance is turning towards God. Aligning my thoughts, my purposes, my resources, everything of my being towards Him. Okay? Because, I mean, if you've been a Christian for long enough, you'll know that there's stuff that you struggle with that you continually confess. God, I'm so sorry, God. And, and six months down the line, you're still struggling with it. Right? Anybody ever been there? If you've been a Christian for long enough, you would have experienced that. And what has happened is you might have turned away a little bit, but you haven't aligned yourself with the purposes of God. Okay? You've confessed your sin, but, but biblically speaking, you haven't turned towards God. That's a very big distinction. It's easy to say sorry to my wife when I upset, what I, when I upset her, but what she's looking for is behavioral change. She wants me to stop doing it. Are you with me? Okay, it's easy to say sorry to God, but what he wants is your heart. And he wants all of you. And he wants you not just to stop doing what you were doing, but to do something that is far more uh, productive and in line with his will and with what his desires are. That's a very big difference. Okay, it's fine that you stop murdering people, but we've got to replace it with better purposes. How about evangelism? Sharing your faith with other people. Do you get what I'm saying? Very simple. And so when, why does Jesus do a baptism of repentance? It's not because he's got any sin. 
It's not because he needs to turn away from it, but he's making a, de a declaration that my life and my very being and the purpose that I am on earth is completely in line with the purposes of God. Do you, do you, do you, do you understand that? I'm being baptized because what I'm declaring to you, 3,000 people, is that I only li live and breathe and serve in a manner in which I see God doing. So that I can declare to you that if you see me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. If you see what I do, it's because the Father is doing it. Isn't that a declaration that you and I would like to make? Okay? I can't make that, I can't make that <laughs> declaration completely. Uh, you can ask my wife. Um, but she still loves me. Um, but, but the purpose of my life is that I'm not just turning away from the wrong things, but I'm trying in my best capacity with the grace that God has given me to align myself with the purposes of God. Amen? Okay. And, and if Jesus is going to do that, how much more then should we do that? So how then do we change our lifestyle? How much more then should we change what we do in accordance with what God is doing? God, I don't just want to stop doing bad things. I want to do right things according to what you're doing. God, I want to live as if I... I, I'm living in heaven, that I can see what you're doing in heaven and act it out on earth. Isn't that a declaration that you would also like to make? Okay, and so when we get baptized today, today we don't do John's baptism of repentance. Today we do baptism of, of Christ, or, or in other words, called immersion baptism. And uh, the, word bap the word baptism comes from the Greek word Baptismo, which literally means to immerse. And what are we immer immersing ourselves in? Um, physically, in water, but literally in death. Specifically, death to ourselves. And when I come out of the, this water, I'm being raised to life with Jesus. What I'm saying is, it's no longer me that lives. The me was heading in that direction. Death, hell, and destruction. Okay? The person that is alive now is Christ inside me, and I'm heading in that direction. I'm making a declaration before witnesses that I'm no longer living for my, for my own purposes. I now live for the purposes of Christ. Okay, and so it, it is fitting that right after Jesus gets baptized that the heavens open. Okay, and not before that. And Jesus and, and God declares right there and then all three all three parts of the Trinity are there. You can see the voice of the Father speaking from heaven. You have the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. You've got Jesus who is, who is receiving this affirmation. This is a big moment. Okay, then there are very, very, very few scriptures which have all three persons of the Trinity in, in, one, in one moment in time. Okay? And they're all there. This, this is an important moment. Take note. If all, three, if all three persons of, of the Trinity, of the Godhead, pitch up, you can rest assured this is pretty significant. Amen? Okay. And what, what is the one thing that, is, that happens here? It's a declaration. You are my beloved son. With you, 
I am well pleased. I want these 3,000 witnesses to know that this is the Son of God. He is in complete alignment with my purposes and my will. He has just declared in front of the witnesses that he is in line with what I'm doing. Okay? And because he has aligned himself with my purposes, I want to now come and affirm him as being my son. Are you with me? Okay. Very important moment. And then right after this, in verse 12, um, Jesus goes into temptation. Now, now remember, Mark isn't interested with the details. Okay, you can go read other, other Gospels. Mark's like, you can go read the other Gospels. Matthew will write down all the details, what happened in the desert and how Satan came and tempted him three times and, and Jesus quoted Deuteronomy and fought back. And Mark's like, eh, we don't have time for that. Okay, Jesus went into the desert. Um, Spirit led him there. He's tempted by Satan. And um, he hung out with the wild animals and the angels came and ministered to him. Okay, cool. Let's move on. Verse 14, Jesus starts his ministry. Okay. He comes out of the desert. And uh, so now we read that John was arrested. John served his purpose. He, he prepared the way. And Jesus starts his ministry. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What is the gospel? Okay, firstly, it's a, it's a word that means good news, right? But what is this gospel? Well, it's the, it's the fact that Jesus has come. And through him, we can have life everlasting. If we put our faith in him, if we, if we do what he does, if we turn from sin and destruction and turn our lives towards the purposes of God, which can be known to us because of the person of Jesus, we can now also have life. Okay? And Jesus starts, as a new king, he starts to gather to him disciples we read right after that, he starts to call his first disciples in verse 16. Um, he calls Simon and Andrew. Um, he starts to heal people, so he starts to undo the work of the enemy. He starts to set people free. He, uh, in, verse, um, uh, in verse 21 here, we see him uh, drive out what they call an unclean spirit, basically a demon. He starts to heal people. There's a person with leprosy. He starts... And he starts to preach. He starts to declare the good news, okay? And this goes on in verse 2. In chapter 2, he heals a paralytic. He calls Matthew. He preaches about fasting. And he's declared to be the Lord of Sabbath. But I want to close off looking at chapter 3, um, verses 1 to 6. And I'm going to read it quickly because this is very important. Again, he entered the synagogue, verse 1. And a synagogue, remember, a synagogue is essentially, this is, this is his father's house. This is his home. This is his home turf. Okay? I mean, imagine, imagine if Jesus came into this church. This church represents the house of God. When we come to church, we're coming not just to meet in a building that your tithes have, have rented, physically, literally, yes, but in another sense, no, this building doesn't belong to you, doesn't belong to me, doesn't belong to Amul. This building represents the house of God. Okay, so if Jesus came in here, what would be an appropriate response for me as a pastor? 
is your ways. Right? And, and, and even in your home, if Jesus pitched up in the home, you'd, you'd have to do that in some figurative sense, hand over the mic. Okay? That is the appropriate response of Jesus in this room. And in fact, when I'm standing here at the pulpit, I'm not representing myself. I'm representing the voice of God. That should instill within me the fear of God. Right? I should be very afraid. Okay? That is, that is an appropriate response. So now read that within this context. He entered the synagogue, his father's house, his own home turf, and a man was there with a withered hand. Okay? He's in his father's home, and there's somebody that's sick. You know, in God's house, that's not acceptable. You, in, 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 your, in the house of God, you come to eat a feast. Okay? And you do that whole and complete. And Jesus understands this. And they watched Jesus, that being the Pharisees, to see whether he would heal him on a Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, said to the Pharisees, listen to this, is it lawful? Is it lawful? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? See, what, what is the gospel? The gospel in, in essence is, if you're not with me, you're against me. If you will not align yourself with the purposes of God, you will align yourself with the purposes of death, hell, and destruction. Is it good to do, is it, is it lawful to do good or to do harm? If you're not doing good on the Sabbath, you're doing harm on the Sabbath. Do you see this? Is it lawful to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill? But, the, but they were silent, that, that being the Pharisees. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Why would Jesus be angry? Aren't they, aren't they adhering to the Sabbath? Aren't they following the law? See, he's, he's angry because they have to make a choice. Death, hell, and destruction or the purposes of God. And in that moment, we want to align ourselves with one purpose or, an, or the other. And if you're not doing good, and if you're not, doing, or, and if you're not saving a life, which, are, which Jesus is basically declaring are the purposes of God, then you're doing the opposite. So your Sabbath has no meaning. Your Sabbath has no meaning if you're aligning yourself with death, hell, and destruction. Your rituals have no meaning. Our worship has no meaning. The lights, the band... The good-looking worship leader has no meaning if those things are aligned with death, hell, and destruction. How do we know that they? How do we know that they are aligned with the purposes of God or with death, hell, and destruction? Are we doing good? Are lives being saved? Are people being healed? Are the captives being set free? If we can't answer that, then stop everything. We're wasting our time. Yes, Jesus is very angry at this point, and we should be afraid. And he looked around at them with anger, 
grieved at their hardness of heart and said to, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately, held counsel with the Herodians against them, how to destroy him. They witnessed somebody doing good, saving a life, essentially fulfilling the greatest parts of the law, to love God and to love people. Summarize, paraphrasing it, obviously. They've just witnessed somebody adhering to the, the two greatest parts of the law, loving God and loving people. And what is their response? To plot to destroy him. You see, if you do not align yourself with God, you will eventually and inevitably end up destroying his works. If you, if you do not change your lifestyle in accordance with the Word of God, you will eventually end up trying to change the Word of God to fit your lifestyle. Okay? I've seen this happen many times. People struggle with sin. And they struggle and they struggle and they push and they push and they push. And there comes a point where they give up. And all of a sudden, they're interpreting verses just a little bit differently so they don't look too bad. They, the, they, their lifestyle, their, their mannerisms are exactly the same. What they've done is they've tweaked the Word of God to suit their lifestyle. I've, I've counseled people that struggled with homosexuality, and I've seen people overcome it and, and, and fight it and overcome it and, and turn their lives to what God is doing. And then I've seen people that I've counseled that have given up. And all of a sudden, you know, Romans 1 becomes a little bit irrelevant. No, we can't, we can't make judgments on the, person, on the person of God according to one verse. Oh, no, that verse doesn't actually mean homosexuality. It means something else. Yeah, buddy. Sure. The main question is, have you aligned yourself with the purposes of God or have you aligned yourself with death, hell, and destruction? Have you changed your lifestyle in accordance with what the Word says or have you changed the Word in accordance with your lifestyle? Because you will fall into one or two categories. Full stop. Not somewhere in between. One of two categories. You will either do good or you will do harm. You will either save a life or you will kill it. You will either uphold the law or you will break it. Are you with me? And when, we've, when, we've, when Jesus made this declaration, got baptized, what he's saying is, I'm not going to have no doubts. My alignment is to God. My purposes are to God. Let's stand up. Let's pray quickly. I'm going to pray, and then I'd like you to pray with somebody that you came with. Please just remember the social distancing and the masks and all of that. Please put on your mask. Um, pray with somebody that you came with. Um, you can also sit with people that you came with, obviously. I'm going to pray quickly for you guys, and then I want you to have a conversation with the person that you came with. Can I, can I say that to the best of my ability, by the grace of God given to me, I am attempting to align myself with the purposes of God. Can I say that honestly and openly?
And if not, what is it that I need to repent of? What is it that I'm doing that I know that I shouldn't be doing? And what is it that I'm not doing that I know I should be doing? Is there stuff that, that you've read in, in Scripture where God has maybe given you a word and you haven't done, you haven't done as your conscience has led? I want you to be brave and honest with, with the person that you've come with. I want you to pray and I want you to repent. And when we're talking about repentance, saying sorry is one half of it. Asking God for forgiveness is one half of it. I want you to declare to the person that you're with, how is it that you will do better? What are you going to be doing differently? Will we be, will we be able to see something different as opposed from yesterday to today? Okay, are you with me? So pray together. Are, to the best of my ability, am I following the purposes of God? And then where in my life do I need to repent? And then I want you to pray for each other. Okay. Let me pray, and then you guys can pray together. As Father, we just want to thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Because without him, we would be lost. And without him, we would have nothing. And we, we are entitled to nothing. We are, we're not entitled to a nice life or a good house or, or, or money or a spouse or children. The only thing that we can lay claim to is death, hell, and destruction because we've sinned against you, God. And only you have we sinned against. And that is why we thank you so much for your son because he's made a way for us to reconnect with our father. He's given us hope. Hope in life everlasting and hope in spending eternity with the person of Jesus Christ. And Father, with us, we, we want to declare today, and for some of us, we need to renew that commitment, that we want to align ourselves with your purposes, Father. We want to say that we follow Jesus. We want to do as he does. We want to live as he lives. And if we can be so bold, Jesus, as you claimed, we want to do even greater things than you did. All in pursuit of the Father. Forgive us where we've missed it. And Father, give us grace to change our life in accordance with your word. Forgive us where we've twisted a bit of scripture to, to water it down so that we feel a little bit less bad about what we're doing. Father, forgive us. Talk to us afresh. Talk to us anew. Let your scripture come out and convict us, please, Father. Because through your conviction, Holy Spirit, we understand the goodness of God. Amen. Let's pray together. And then when you're done praying, the church, is, the church service is over and you're more than welcome to go get some tea and coffee in the back. And we want to thank you for coming and be blessed and go with God. Amen.